Hey everyone, this is Ray Hilbert, your host here at Bottom Line Faith. We hope that during this time of the global pandemic that you and yours are safe and sound. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be presenting to you some of the best of episodes that we have recorded over the last few years here at Bottom Line Faith. We're doing this in order to bring you some of the best high-profile and specialized speakers to help you navigate this crisis in your leadership in the marketplace. We'll be back with you soon with some new episodes of Bottom Line Faith, but for now, we hope and pray that this episode will be of tremendous value to help you live out your faith in the marketplace. And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Well, hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert. I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith. We would like to welcome you back to another episode of the program where our tagline here is Eternal Business, Real Life. This is the podcast where we get a chance to travel the country, sometimes physically, other times virtually, north to south, east to west, and we interview some of the most amazing Christ followers who are in business and leadership in the marketplace who are living out their faith on a daily basis. Our intent here at Bottom Line Faith is, in, is simply this. It's to encourage you to become who and what God is calling you to be as a Christ follower in leadership, in business, in the marketplace. I am so excited. This is a conversation, friends, I have been looking forward to for months. Um, our guest today is John Reinhardt, and he uh, if you're not familiar with John, you're, you're going to love this conversation. He is an author, uh, speaker, founder, and leader of Gospel Patrons. And his first book, we're going to talk about that today, Gospel Patrons, tells three stories from history about business leaders like you and I who are behind the scenes fueling amazing movements of God in the marketplace. And recently, his second book, Giving Together, is about how we become those kinds of people that he's, um, that God is calling us to be very generous and giving together in community. John is in huge demand here in the States and globally at conferences and churches, speaks to business and ministry leaders wherever he goes. With his background, both in business and ministry, he is uniquely qualified to address us as Christ followers in the marketplace. He's got his business degree from Biola University in California and his Master's of Divinity from Talbot, Talbot School of Theology. He resides in Orange County, California with his wife and two children. So, John, with that as the backdrop, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. That was quite an introduction. I'll pay you later. Awesome. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, John, for, for, for our listeners who um, are just learning about you and getting acquainted with you, why don't you just give us a little bit of background? Um, what is it that you're doing there at Gospel Patrons? A little bit of the story, what inspired you to start you know, sharing these messages? Just give us a little bit of that backstory. Yeah, as, as you mentioned, I studied business and uh, got a sales job right out of college. And by the time I was 25, I made 100 grand and paid off all my student loans. I was married and I had a midlife crisis. <laughs> I started young. Not, I, I just was wondering, what, 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 is, what is this all about? That once I was out of debt, once the student loans were paid off, the question really was, am I just supposed to pursue bigger and bigger numbers, move closer and closer to the beach and get a faster and faster car? I mean, is that the goal? Yeah. What are we, what is life and what is, what is life as a Christian business person supposed to be about? And I really didn't have a vision for it. I had grown up in a family of business people and my wife's parents are business owners. And 
So I was, I was surrounded by business people, but there was sort of this uh, sneaking suspicion that business leaders were second-class Christians. Mm. You know, they, were, they weren't on the A-team because they weren't, you know, seeing as many people saved or preaching sermons or being missionaries. They were sort of, I don't know, that they didn't get to see the real action. The real action was had by missionaries and preachers and Bible study leaders and those kind of people. And I didn't want to miss out on the real action. I didn't know I didn't know how that fit. And so Gospel Patrons to me has been a, a 10-year journey of, of discovering what it is, what's, what's the vision for a Christian business leader, and how do they fit within God's kingdom? What's their role? What's their part to play? So I had this midlife crisis at 25. I leave business, and I go back to seminary. Not necessarily because I was called or felt called to become a pastor. I like preaching and that kind of thing. But I just knew whatever was coming next in my life, I needed to be more grounded in God's Word. So at 29 years of age, I graduate from seminary. And I feel like in one hand, I'm holding business. And in the other hand, I'm holding this ministry degree and this passion for Jesus. And going, all right, Lord, what are you going to do with these two things? And how, how in the world do they come together for your kingdom? Well, I, I asked my wife at 29, I said, hey, what's... What's your dream? You've been helping me chase my dream in seminary for the last four years. What's your dream? And my wife beautifully said, ever since I was 13, I dreamed of traveling all the way around the world in a single shot. Not going to Europe and coming home or visiting Africa and coming back, but, but literally circling the globe. And she said, my, my, my goals underneath that would be to become a global Christian and to learn to walk by faith. I just love this woman. And I said, that's a great goal. Those are amazing ideas. Let's do it. So we put all of our belongings in storage and, and traveled around the world for four and a half months. And it was a season after graduating from seminary, not knowing what comes next, and really seeking the Lord and asking him, God, what do you want to do with my life? What is my calling? And we had all kinds of incredible adventures and met incredible leaders and people and saw God at work all over the world. But it was really one conversation, a 45-minute coffee with a friend of a friend in Sydney, Australia, that changed the trajectory of my life. Never underestimate what God can do in one coffee meeting with a stranger or a friend of a friend. Uh, we were sitting down, and I was just supposed to meet with this man and ask him about this idea called gospel patrons. And in that, in that meeting, he said, behind every great movement of God... There are those who are the preachers and the missionaries and the proclaimers of the gospel. But the, digger, the, deeper, the deeper we dig into history, we find that those preachers were never lone rangers. That God always, always, always raised up patrons to stand with them in partnership, in generosity, and in support. And when these two pieces of the body work together, the patron and the preacher and proclaimer of the gospel, God does explosive things in history. Hmm. And it was the first time in my life that I had ever uh, seen a Christian business leader in a critical moment in the, in the great movement of God. The first time I'd ever really seen that they were, they were involved. They weren't just a human ATM machine giving, giving the money, but they, they had a part to play, and that part was glorious. And so Gospel Patrons became a journey from that moment forward where I just couldn't let go of this idea, and it's consumed the last 10 years of my life. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm taking notes, uh, John, as, as we're talking here, because there's two or three things in just that opening commentary I'd like to kind of follow up uh, on with you. So you, I've heard this phrase, we, we've had maybe a guest or two over the previous uh, Bottom Line Faith episodes use this phrase, second-class Christian. W would you just take a moment and elaborate more of what you know, you've come to understand that to mean, and like, where did that thought or I, that idea come from, from your, from your estimation? 
Yeah, I've never actually heard a pastor say that from the pulpit in their church, that unless you're a pastor or a missionary, you're a second-class Christian. But I think one of the one of the ways it sneaks in is that we don't, um, in churches, we don't often celebrate and honor business leaders for the role that they play. Yeah. And so when we're going to highlight a testimony or we're going to highlight an incredible story from history or recommend a biography, we're going to generally recommend the biography of a Christian hero. And that Christian hero is going to be a missionary or a pastor who did something incredible for the Lord. And, and I don't think it's necessarily been on purpose that we've slighted uh, business leaders or professional people in the role that they play. We just haven't known how to highlight them. We haven't known the stories. And so I think that was the, the game changer for me was seeing that, that Christian business people aren't just business people who operate by Christian principles and biblical values. They are people who have a part to play. Uh, they, they're in the story of God. And when I saw that through stories of history, and even modern stories, I began to go, oh, this is different. It's one thing to give me a principle, another thing to tell me a story and wake up my imagination for who I could be and who my friends and parents and brothers and sisters could be in the kingdom of God as business people. And so I think we sort of implicitly receive um, this message that, you know, unless I'm one of them, I'm not going to be one of the people that's highlighted because I'm not one of the people that's really doing great things for God. Well, okay, so... That's really, I, 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 that's, that's, that's helpful, and I remember, I don't know, I'm thinking back 20 years ago maybe, I remember sitting at a church, and my background, like yours, is in business, and I remember sitting at a church uh, one, one morning, and I was visiting this church, and I heard this pastor talk about the evils of the marketplace, and didn't say these exact words, but pretty much intimated or, you know, indicated that, look, if you're in business and you're pursuing um, success in business, you are really caught up in the world's standard and yeah. you might want to consider a calling of God to come over you know come to the dark, come to the come away from the dark into the light right into ministry so i think sometimes yeah. these kind of things maybe get caught and maybe not intentionally taught but that was yeah. pretty much what i was hearing that morning has that been your yeah. experience too that vicariously we kind of say some of these things yeah, I think I think because a lot of the people on stages, you know, across America are, are not they don't have a business background. They haven't really worked in business. Uh, some have, but but most haven't. They don't really know how to speak to the good of business uh, for the glory of God. It's just not been their training or their experience. And so I think you know, unknowingly, they can say some things that are not very helpful. And I think that's part of the reason God's given me a ministry to strengthen and encourage his people who are business and professional people, as well as speak to the pastors and ministry leaders to say, there's a better way to talk about this. There's a better way to inspire people uh, to be all that they can be for, for God in their calling. I mean, I think yeah. one of the things that, that unintentionally gets said is that if you're in ministry, you have a calling yeah. and everyone else of us have careers. <laughs> We have jobs, that, and I, I don't believe that at all. I think God calls everyone to their particular profession and vocation. We can miss the calling. I think we can avoid it. We can say no, like Jonah does, and runs away from it. But but God does call people to different professions and vocations, and that's a good thing. So uh, our ministry is highlighting that and trying to draw that out for us. That's fantastic. And I don't want to give a spoiler alert to the book, and I want to come back to the book in just a moment, Gospel Patrons, yeah. and, and, and some of the study and research and whatever you'd care to share from that. But can you cite maybe examples in Scripture of uh, this concept of Gospel Patrons? You know, what is it, and where do we see it ex uh, demonstrated in the Word of God? Yeah, I, I love that, because to me, that was 
that was game changing. I, I did come across a few historical stories that made it into the book Gospel Patrons, but when I saw it in Scripture, I mean, Scripture is our anchor. It's my authority, and I go, okay, this isn't just an anomaly of history. I, I see it right here. I think the most compelling one for me is that in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, we see that Jesus is traveling and speaking. He's got his disciples with him. He's preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God. But then in verse 3 of Luke 8, it says that there were three women with him, Mary, Joanna, and Susanna, who provided for him out of their means. Mm. And the first time I saw that, I went, wait, what? How come I never considered how the Son of God provided for his ministry? I mean, we all know he was a carpenter, worked under Joseph, and then seemingly took over the family business until he was 30. He was working as a carpenter. But we, he, we all know he also left that and for three years traveled and was preaching and teaching everywhere he went. So how did he, how was his ministry funded? He still needed to eat. There's still expenses in ministry, just like there are today. Who, who paid for that? Yeah. And all of a sudden in Luke 8, 3, you go, oh, Mary, Joanna, and Susanna were Jesus's gospel patrons. They provided for him out of their means. And I was like, how could I never have seen that before? All of us have read through the gospel of Luke. We've seen this story. And yet there it was right there. I keep reading. I get to Romans 16. And Romans 16, you know, the, the final chapter of one of the greatest letters ever written. And Romans is so packed with beautiful theology and truth and gospel. And Romans 16 is basically a list of names. And you start reading it, and the first person mentioned is this woman named Phoebe. And Paul says, hey, uh, church in Rome, greet Phoebe in a manner worthy of the Lord, for she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. Mm. And again, it was like, whoa, wait a second. The apostle Paul had a patron who... Sometimes he made tents so he could provide for his ministry on the side. And there's other times I think people like Phoebe came alongside and said, you know, you're good at making tents, but what you're really good at is writing books of the Bible and starting church plants everywhere you go. Why don't I fund you? Can you do that? And here was a woman of prominence and significance and wealth who gets named first in Romans 16. And again, I go, oh, Lord. This is how you work. This isn't just some idea from 200 years ago, 50 years ago, 500 years ago. This was right there in the first century. This was how the gospel spread. Someone's going to preach and someone's going to provide. And when they come together, God does incredible things. Okay, so this is kind of a little bonus. Uh, a little bonus here at Bottom Line Faith is I'm taking notes and following along. There is a theme that is developing in this conversation, and that is the power of godly women, right? Because your wife yeah. said, I want to be this, I want to be a, my dream is to become a global Christian and learn to walk by faith, which led you to this conversation that you had in Sydney, Australia. Is that correct? That was really profoundly yeah. powerful. Yeah. And then you've given yeah. us a, a, a couple of examples out of Scripture where these women that, that, that had resources and means that God leverage them, use them as the patron to the gospel, both through Jesus and through the Apostle Paul. So we're seeing a real yep. theme develop here. I didn't plan on that today. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love that. I love that because Jesus didn't have to do that. He loved women, and he he allowed them to travel with them. When you look at Mary, Joanne, and Susanna, and Luke 8, and their generosity toward Jesus' ministry, you go, that's a really significant part to play. Uh, I mean, all the disciples also had left their fishing boats and their nets yeah. and their work as a tax collector. And so they did need provision. And these three women stepped up. And we see these women journeying with Jesus and the disciples all the way from Luke 8 to the cross and the, and the, and the burial of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. 
they're there. And so they're with these guys on the journey as partners in ministry. They just have a different role. And it's beautiful and glorious and powerful role they play in That is fantastic. Well, folks, we are speaking with John Reinhardt, author, speaker, founder, and leader of Gospel Patrons, uh, author of the book Gospel Patrons and Giving Together, his second book. Uh, John, if uh, there are folks listening to our conversation and they want to connect with you or learn more about your ministry or your resources, your speaking, what's the best way for uh, folks to get in touch with you? Yeah, thanks for asking. Gospelpatrons.org is sort of our home address that we welcome everyone to come visit us at, gospelpatrons.org, and also at gospelpatrons on Instagram, Twitter, um, let's see other one. Oh, Facebook, yeah, YouTube. So, uh, at Gospel Patrons uh, is social media, but gospelpatrons.org is our home base where we give away all of our resources for free. You can see articles, videos, films, interviews, journals. Uh, we want to make all that stuff beautiful, free, accessible to um, as many people as possible around the world because we, we really believe there's a ton of professional people who need to be inspired with how God could use them. That's awesome. Well, thank you for that. So, folks, check out John, his team, and their work and resources at gospelpatrons.org, and then on all the social media there under yeah. under that uh, that tag. So, so John, let, let's talk a little bit, if we can, about as you've traveled in your speaking and your workshops yeah. and teaching. Can you think of an example of maybe a conversation that you've had or a meeting where? You, you talked with a business person, maybe somebody who had had some success or whatever, and they, they had not yet made this connection, and by learning about this concept or having this, these details and stories taught, that you saw the light come on. Does any—names not, of course, but just does anything or any situation come to mind that you could share with us today? Yeah, thanks for that. I, I think um, probably one of the first big ones that— that happened is, is one that will forever be etched into my memory. I was speaking at a conference in Atlanta and it had gathered different business leaders from around the country. And uh, a lawyer from New York uh, came and he was sort of drugged there by his wife, wasn't really sure he wanted to be there. And my book was given away uh, to everybody the night before. And then I spoke the next morning. And after I spoke, uh, he and his wife came up to me and they said, yeah, we started reading your book last night. Uh, when it was given away. And then this morning after hearing you speak, um, the husband said, this is what I'm called to do. This is why God put me on planet earth for years as a Christian business person, as a lawyer in New York city, I wrestled with, am I just supposed to pass out bulletins? What's my role within the body of Christ? He's like, I, I can do that, but I'm really good at some of this other stuff. And he said, now I know what I'm called to. I'm called to be a gospel patron. And he said, in light of the message that you just gave, um, last year I gave away $20,000 to God's kingdom work, but I could do so much more. And in light of the message you just gave, I just made two half million dollar commitments to two different ministries that I deeply love and want to partner with and want to be a gospel patron for them in this critical season. So the ministry leaders I know and love and trust, I just really haven't gotten in with them. And it's time for me to go all in. And I just went, whoa, your giving went from $20,000 one year to a million the next year. And there was no pressure, no guilt, no obligation, just an unleashing of a calling, an unleashing of this is a purpose of destiny. And he and his wife have kept running in that direction ever since. And so to see that happen in a moment, uh, obviously, was the work of the Holy Spirit. But this idea of gospel patrons 
uh, I think has the ability to catalyze us to not just give, change our giving from 8% to 10 or 10 to 12 or 12 to 15, but to allow us like a, a horse being let out of the stall, like just run, yeah. run after everything God's called you to, called you to in life. That's a powerful story that you shared. That, that happened in Atlanta, I think you said, right? Yes. So yep. as, as I'm listening that, it kind of triggers another question that I didn't plan on asking. And so um, any any of us who have walked with Christ for any number of years, who have sat you know, and attended church and so forth, we, we have been taught and we've read the importance around tithing and giving and so on and so forth. So what similarities or what distinctives are different between someone who's just tithing or giving um, yeah. because they've understood that to be an act of obedience versus being a gospel patron. Are there differences? Are there distinctives? Walk us through that. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I would say tithing is a great thing, or you know, giving 10% to your local church is a great thing, and I think that's a starting place for every Christian. I don't think that's where we end, though. And I think uh, the, question, the, the difference is the questions that get asked. Um, a lot of times people who give 10% or who tithe have a mentality of still 90% belongs to me and 10% belongs to God. And I think the gospel patron mindset is 100% of what I have belongs to God. How much does he want me to keep? Not how much does he want me to give, how much does he want me to keep? And another question gospel patrons ask is, is they don't ask the question, how much, uh, how much am I obligated to give or how much should I give? Gospel patrons ask the question, what's it going to take to get the job done, to launch this ministry, to, to uh, send this church planter out, to get this missionary fully supported and get him out in the field so he's preaching the gospel, or to uh, build this new work from scratch in a new area, a new region, new city, whatever it is. What's it going to take to get that done? Well, let's give that, or let's rally other, you know, a group of us to give that. Let's let's get the job done. Let's move things forward. Not not how much can I hang on to to build my kingdom. It's how much can I release to build God's kingdom. Wow, Th- those are very different questions. I, so let me. I'm again. I love to take notes and learn. Um, so yeah. I just want to make sure I capture these right, and I'm sure somebody... By the way, if you're taking notes, I hope you've pulled off the road while you're driving. I hope you're not trying to write on that notepad on your knee pad as you're driving. But um, you, you talked about the two questions, not is how much should I give, but how much does God want me to keep? Did I catch that one correctly? Yep, yep. And then secondly, the big question is, what is it going to take to get the job done in this ministry that God's calling me to come alongside? Did I did I capture those correctly? Absolutely. Yep, that's correct. So, so John, that, those are powerful questions. What begins to change? What what takes place in the heart and spirit of a person who begins to ask those questions as opposed to, you know, the standard wrestling through how much should I give? And what what happens on the inside of someone once they begin wrestling with those questions? Yeah, I think the first thing is joy. It's generosity for God's kingdom is a surprising, uh, is one of the most surprising joys in life. We don't expect giving to be joyful. I mean, before God has done a massive work in my heart so that I, I don't love and trust and treasure money like I used to. Because I used to think of giving as like you, you kind of have to, it's an obligation, not an opportunity. And it's 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 not gonna be a joyful thing because I have to release something that I don't really want to do anyway. But throughout uh throughout the Bible we see that that generous people are joyful people. And I have a friend who leads a ministry called Generous Giving named Todd Harper, and he says, I've never met an unhappy, generous person. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and number, generous people are joyful people. And so when we step out in faith, we uh, we experience the grace of God to go, that was the right move. That was the right call. My treasure is now in heaven. My joy is set in God and his kingdom. It's not going to be set in something that's going to fade or something that, that moth and rust can destroy. And so our joy actually rises. Generous people are happy people. There's been all kinds of studies and, and uh, across a number of different institutions who basically confirm this fact, not even from a Christian perspective, that that uh, giving makes you happy. Yes. And so much, so much more when that's connected to Jesus and his kingdom and the very purpose and reason for which we're made. I mean, at the heart of who God is, God's heartbeat is generous. Yeah. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son mm -hmm. at the heart of who God is at the heart of the gospel, which is what we believe and carry is a God is a generous God who would give us the thing that was most valuable to him and most costly for him to get. That's who he is. And so when we give, we are, we're becoming, we're being like God. We're never more like God than when we're giving. Yeah. And so this, this joy floods our heart. I think faith is also the big thing that's built. It's a muscle that gets used. And all of a sudden we begin to take a small step of faith and you can never really tell where a small step of faith is going to lead. And so I think it, it sets off this sort of triggered reaction to adventure, faith, and joy. Oh, I love that. So here's another question I hadn't planned on asking, <laughs> but just this conversation to me is so encouraging and inspiring and frankly, very insightful. So I know of a gentleman who has been wildly successful in business. I mean, to the tunes of millions and millions and millions of dollars of annual yeah. income. And I know that he has given away millions of dollars over the course of his mm -hmm. lifetime. Now, it's not for me to say or to judge any of this, but I often yeah. wonder, this question in my own life as well as others, is there a difference between being somebody who gives away a lot of money versus someone who's generous? Is, is it's a great... Yeah, okay. I, I love that question because I, I, have, I often cringe when I'm sitting in church and the pastor will stand up and thank someone, thank uh, the congregation for giving so generously because I go, really? The statistics are that the average Christian in America, average evangelical Christian gives 2 to 3% of their income. Can we really call that generous? Mm -hmm. When I think 10% is our starting line, <laughs> I think that's our starting place for generosity, not our finish line. Um, so I, I do cringe at things like that. I think writing big checks doesn't necessarily equate to generosity. I mean, all the research shows that the most generous people percentage wise are the poor, yeah. the poor give a higher percentage of their wealth away than, than the, the upper echelon and the, the highest people in our society. And so I think, um, it is hard. It is hard to judge. I don't think it's our job to judge the amount that other people give. Uh, or even the amount that other people keep. Other people will keep different things that you and I might might not keep. And um, I have friends who have very, very large homes, and sure, I sure. think some, some use them very, very well. Uh, I think for me, a very large home would be an anchor. It would be a burden. It would be uh, something that I, I think would consume too much of my time and attention and take me off of the things that God's called me to do. And so my wife and I chose to live quite simply for the sake of being able to really run and making our home more of a launch pad than mm -hmm. a, um, anything else. And so I, I think it, it's a hard question to ask. I think it's because giving is so much about the heart, right? It, it's so much about the heart. And, and we want to sort of make it about a standard of living or a certain percentage. Or But, but God loves a cheerful giver. Nowhere else in the New Testament does it say God loves fill in the blank. 
Mm. And not, not a particular type of person or particular gifting, but it does say that about generosity. Second Corinthians 9, it says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Mm-hmm. And so I think the thing God wants most for us is not to be reluctant givers. He wants us to be like him. And when we give with joy, when we give with faith, when we give to glorify God, when we give because we're happy to do it for his kingdom's sake, whether it's our first step and it feels really small or whether it's the biggest gift we've ever committed into our, our life in our lifetimes, I don't think God's looking at us going, hey, you really should have given more. I think he's saying, great job, son. Great job, daughter. I'll call you tomorrow when it's time. I'll invite you to a bigger step of faith next time. David started with the lion and the bear, and then it was Goliath. But praise God for the lions, and praise God for the bears, and keep taking steps. We're on the journey. And I think that's the, the place I want to encourage people. Stay on the journey with God. Take your next step of faith and try to do it with joy. God loves a cheerful giver. He delights when we give generously. And so let's be like him and continue to step toward that rather than setting sort of rules and restrictions yep. that are going to bind people and take away that joy and giving. Well, I love that. And I'm, I'm just reminded, uh, I think it's in Second Samuel, somewhere in there, where David makes a statement, something along the lines that, I will not offer the Lord that which costs me nothing. And yeah. it, it seems to me, John, and if I'm misstating this or misunderstanding it, please correct me on this, but it seems to me that at some point generosity kicks in at a point where sacrifice of some sort has taken place, where I can yes. where I can see I've given up something that I wanted mm-hmm. or was important to me in order to give to the Lord's work. A- am I getting that right, or is that if I stepped, uh, I stepped uh, over the ground uh, there? Well, no, it reminds me of the, the widow who threw in her two copper coins. Jesus says in his economy, she's given more than all the rich. And then you go, well, how is two copper coins more than the large checks of the rich? And I think the sacrifice, the sacrificial piece is the, is the element. I've met business leaders who said, you know, all of my peers in my field have private planes. I don't, though. That's yeah. my sacrifice. You know, and you go, okay, well, that's not the sacrifice that many of us make for the yeah, kingdom. Right. But for them, that's a, that's a real sacrifice. Yeah. And, and they're using that for God's kingdom and glory. So let's not judge that. Let's say, okay, God, what are you calling me to give? Um, and so I, I think there is an element that God, if, if all of our giving is, is just um, off of the top, once, once we've secured ourselves completely and every need of ours and our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren has been met, then on top of that, we're going to give. Is that really the generosity we see in God who gave his one and only son, mm. Jesus, who gave his life, his blood, his very last breath? I, I feel like we're called to imitate him. I think we're called to know servants greater than his master. So let's be like our masters. Let's lean into sacrificial generosity, not because we have to, but because we get to. And when we get to, we find life and life abundantly. And so uh, let's just keep calling us back to see Jesus and to live like him. Okay, fantastic. Well, wow, we are rapidly approaching the the tail end of our conversation here, John. So I have just a couple more questions for you, and then I want to ask a couple of advice questions from you, if I may. But um, sure. So um, you've obviously spent such an an amazing part of your life and effort, energy researching this, really becoming a subject matter expert around this topic. So, how is it that uh, companies uh, use you, or business owners leverage your information? How is it that churches or conferences, like if I'm listening to this conversation, I say, "Wow, this is really powerful. This is really helping." What kinds of things do you and your organization offer out in the marketplace? 
Yeah, so we offer books, and so I think that's the, the first and the easiest thing for people to give. We have people buying gospel patrons books and giving together books around the world and giving them away to business leaders they know. Uh, business owners buy them sometimes and give them to employees in their company or their executive teams or their leaders. Churches buy, buy books, and they give them to their top givers and patrons to say, I think this is what you're called to do. I think this is who God's made you to be, and I just I, I want to freshly inspire you with some stories from history and scripture. So books has, has been the number one way that people have partnered with us, uh, but we're creating some new ways to do that. We On our website, Gospel Patrons, we've been producing modern-day document, short documentaries, so 15-minute films that are telling the stories of how people are living this out today, and we're giving all of that away for free. You don't even have to sign in. There's no password protection. There's no email thing. You can just go to our website, gospelpatrons.org, scroll down the page, find our films, and you can begin sharing those. And one of the ways we're going to enable churches and businesses and small groups to do this better is to host their own film night, where they gather friends in a home, where they run out a theater, or they gather their church for a special evening and say, let's see some of these stories to kind of shift our narrative and shift our perspective towards a life of wholehearted following Jesus and wholehearted generosity for his kingdom. And so we're giving all that away for free and we want to help inspire professional people around the world that, man, you have a glorious part to play. You've been made by God for a purpose. And so you can host your own film that or you can watch our films online. Um, in addition to that, I do a lot of speaking. And so there's ways to find out about that um, on our website. And so uh, there's a lot a lot of things we do, but we're trying to plug it all back into our home address of gospelpatrons.org and say it's all there for you. Check it out, and uh, hopefully we can serve you. Well, thank you for that, and and uh, that's demonstrating that spirit of generosity that we've been discussing, you know, making these resources and tools available free of charge to anyone who would, would seek them. So are you um, supported by Gospel Patrons? How, how is it that your we organization are. is funded? Yeah, yeah, so we're a nonprofit, and we're fully supported by a small team of Gospel Patrons, and that's a growing team of Gospel Patrons. It's not that they're all locked and loaded, but we, yeah. we have a pretty pretty small and nimble and effective team and a, and a small team of patrons who we've invited to kind of come alongside us in a bigger way and say, help us carry this message to the world. Help us make these resources free for everybody. So this isn't a sales pitch or bait and switch. We want to be able to give this stuff to the world. And so we have a team of about 20 patrons coming alongside us to say, let's do this. Let's run with this message together so that the more we can give it away, uh, the more it will lower resistance for people to at least hear the message and be inspired by it. That's fantastic. Well, thanks so much. Well, John, um, I would be remiss if I didn't get to a couple of questions around like what we call our advice section here at Bottom Line Faith. And man, this this has yeah. gone so fast. Maybe I could have you back for part two of this conversation <laughs> at some point, right? So, but if sure. so, just a couple questions around advice before we wrap up here. So, let me ask you this: What advice would you have for Christian and marketplace leaders who are living to this, uh, listening to this uh, conversation? and they're processing it, maybe they're wrestling with it, maybe they have been seeking, like, God, what is it you have for me in the marketplace? What, What is that? So how might our conversation today be an encouragement to someone who's struggling through some of those questions right now? Yeah, I, I love that question, and I think for those of you listening who are thinking through, what is my calling, and do I have a calling as a Christian business person? 
I want to affirm absolutely. And we look at we look at the chapter of chapter twelve of First Corinthians. It talks about the body and like the church being God's body. He's made each member of the body uh, differently. Each part of the body has a unique function. It, it talks about that God made each part of the body as He designed. Uh, and it's his purpose to, to gift you the way you're gifted. If you're a strategic thinker, you're a problem solver, you're an entrepreneur, opportunity seeker, you're a great negotiator, you close deals, and that's what you're good at. That's not by mistake, that's by design. God has made you to do that. And, and the question then is, when you do that well, and you get resources and you get rewarded for that, what are those resources for? Are they for building your kingdom? And your lifestyle, or are they for, are they for building God's kingdom and bringing life to others? I would argue all day long that it's the latter, that God has gifted you just like he's gifted me, uniquely for his kingdom, to bring life to others and build his kingdom, not our own kingdoms. And so I think my main encouragement would be, I know and you know that one of the hardest places to trust God with is money. Yeah. It's really hard to trust him with his provision. We can trust him with our souls. We can trust him to forgive our sins. We can trust him to be merciful. But putting our need, our need for provision into his hands is one of the hardest steps of faith uh, that any of us will have to take. But I would encourage you, go all in with Jesus. Go all in with him. Whatever he's asking you to give, give that. Not what you think you should give. Not what your neighbor or your coworker is giving. Whatever he's asking you to give, give that. Because in that, you'll find more of him and more of life. Mm. Generosity is a pathway to intimacy with God. First and foremost, it's a pathway to intimacy with God. It's not even about advancing ministry. We love advancing ministry through generosity. But, but for you personally, it's a pathway to intimacy with God because it releases the grip of money on your heart and trusting in it, which you're so prone to, and says, God, you're my treasure. You're my security. You're my portion. I'm going to trust in you. Wow. And that you need that reminder. I need that reminder over and over and over again to not put our security and our hope and our comfort in our in our ability to provide for ourselves, but to go all in with Jesus, say, you're my treasure. I want to bank on you. Let's roll together. I'll put all my chips in, your, in the center of the table. Jesus, you deal, and I'll ride with what you deal. I would encourage you to go all in with him and go all in with generosity. Wow. So powerful. Thank you so much for that, John. So, gosh, we're down to the last question, and I know our listeners know what this question is. I don't know that... I think we've done about 160, 170 interviews here at Bottom Line Faith, and we... I don't think we've ever failed to ask this as our last question. So here we go. In Proverbs 4.23, these words show up. The Solomon writes, "...above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows all of life." So, John, as we end our conversation today, I want you to kind of fill in the blank around that question. What would be the one piece of advice or encouragement that you would want to leave our listeners with right now? So just fill in the blank for us. Above all else... Above all else, guard your heart by having spiritual friendship. Spiritual friendship. What do I mean by that? I mean that David had Jonathan... And David went through the fire. Man, he was running for his life, living in caves, trying to survive, wondering if he was going to make it, had been anointed king, and yet was in the depths of despair, except that he had another person who says that God knit their souls together. God gave them a closeness, a unity, a vulnerability, an ability to pray for one another and deeply love one another. 
um, it's really hard to guard your own heart alone. Yeah. And throughout scripture, we see that, that it's not good for a man to be alone. A person who isolates himself is not wise. We need others to watch our backs and to watch our hearts. And so for me, the greatest thing that I've experienced in the last 10 years has been a very close friendship um, that I treasure. Now, I have a great marriage and a very close friendship with my wife, but with another guy, I have a very close friendship, and we pray together often, and we uh, you know, share what's where we're weak and where we're struggling, and, and sort of lean into those places and speak the truth to one another, pray for each other, come alongside each other, and encourage each other, and build each other up. Uh, that has done more to guard my heart and to mm. keep me faithful, fruitful, and flourishing in life than perhaps anything else. Uh, I love scripture and I read it. I pray. I have a good relationship with my pastor. I'm engaged in my local church, but above all else, there's a, another um, man who's watching my soul, who's watching over my heart with me through prayer and through friendship. And so to cultivate one or two very close friendships and invest in those uh, is the greatest thing you can do to guard your heart. Friendship is one of those loves that C.S. Lewis talks about in his book, The Four Loves, that it never feels urgent, but it's one of the most powerful loves in the world. Because you don't have a claim on anyone, it's mm -hmm. not a parent to a child or husband to a wife or a boss to an employee, it's just a friend to a friend. And yet it's small groups of friends that change the world because they believe in one another, they stick together, they're through thick and thin, they're fierce with, with one another to, to fight for one another. And I think um, one of those things for business people that gets crowded out throughout life is the time for true friendship. And I think it's really, really hard to guard your own heart, especially when you're the boss, especially when you're setting the, the terms and the values for your company, especially when you're kind of in the lonely place of leadership. Man, I would, I would encourage you above all else, Guard your heart by seeking and praying and asking God for one spiritual friend this year who you can journey with, who you can grow with, who you can commit regular time to invest in, and then watch what God's going to do to guard your heart. It will be incredible. Absolutely fantastic encouragement and words of advice there, John. Thank you. So one more time, yeah. folks, John Reinhardt and his team, check them out, please, at gospelpatrons.org, as he has shared with us. Tremendous resources there available to you to learn what this means to to find your calling and come alongside and and be not just a supporter in ministry and missions, but a true partner and a patron in God's work in the marketplace. And so, John, I want to thank you for being a part of our conversation today here at Bottom Line Faith. Absolutely. It's been a joy. Well, folks, let me take just a moment, a quick summary here, because this has been no disappointment. I said on the front end of this conversation, I've been looking forward to it for a long time. No, no disappointment here at all. And I'm just reflecting on my own notes here of just what I'm going to take away from the conversation with John today is that you never know the power of a single question, that when he asked his wife this question, what is your dream? And her response was, my dream is to become a global Christian and to learn to walk by faith. And that began them on a journey where they began literally going around the globe, and he had a powerful conversation with someone in Sydney, Australia, that began to shape a different worldview for him, to understand that behind every great movement of God, 
there was a patron or patrons who were supporting it and making it possible. And, and, and he gave us examples of that from the Scripture, whether it be in Luke chapter 8 or in Romans 16 and other examples where, where, where God uniquely and divinely called people through their means, through their resources, to support God's work, whether it was Jesus' ministry or the Apostle Paul and others. And so we saw that as well. And John shared with us a powerful story of a transformational conversation of an attorney for the first time in Atlanta, Georgia, that, that went from giving a small portion of his income to truly engaging in the ministry and God transforming his heart on a global basis. Powerful. And then these questions, I'm going to just chew on these, that there is a difference between being just a giver and nothing wrong with being a giver, but being a gospel patron, and that is asking these two questions. How much does God want me to keep, and what's it going to take to get the job done? And those are profoundly powerful questions. And then he helped walk us through finding our calling in the marketplace as business leaders, and then this amazing piece of advice, above all else, guard your heart by having spiritual friendship at a deep level. Folks, that's what we're about here at Bottom Line Faith, is conversations like the one we've just had with John Reinhardt at Gospel Patrons to encourage you, to inspire you, to become who and what God is calling you as a Christ follower in business and in the marketplace. So we want to thank you for joining us here at Bottom Line Faith, where we're all about that conversation of eternal business in real life. So until next time, I am your host, Ray Hilbert, encouraging you to live out your faith every day in the marketplace. God bless, and we'll see you next time. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes. 